Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. It is the final day of the ATP season 2020. What a strange season it's been, but a familiar, reassuring voice joining me on this show for sort of our annual ATP-type rap show. Very different circumstances than usual, Ricky Diamond, that you're here. Normally, we do this show after you've just run the Marine Corps Marathon in D.C., probably right after we go to Ben's Chili Bowl on U Street. Uh, unfortunately neither of those things happened this year due to the pandemic but you're here thanks for being here and uh sorry for the lack of lack of chili cheese fries on offer today (laughs) yeah thanks thanks for having me good good to be on but yeah i miss i miss that legendary tradition of pre-nitto atb finals run the half marathon go to Penn's chili bowl in dc and preview the upcoming tournament but uh you know this isn't too bad of an alternative of doing it after the fact you actually, actually, I was going to start with this later, but I'll, I'll start with this now. You've been to the London tournament a bunch of times, uh, covering it for tennis balls and other places you write for. I have been there only once to London in 2014, which is one of the worst tournaments that ever happened, the 2014 London tournament, in terms of like almost every match being predictable <laughs> and yeah. the final not happening. And there was the one good Federer Stan crybaby match. That right. was that was the one memorable part of that tournament. And Novak did the dot at that tournament too, which I was yeah, a big fan of the right. dot. The semis were pretty good, but the, anyway, most of it was bad. But you, you were at that tournament a long time. Uh, this was the last match that we had played in this tournament in its current iteration at the uh, O2 Arena in London. What are you gonna? What do you remember most about that venue and this and how they held it? And what do you think of it finally moving? Did it? Is it the right time to move? Is it too soon? Is it too late? Should it have been in the same place because before this, it moved on a pretty regular interval. This was a long setting up of camp in London. Right. Really broke the sort of rhythm of the tournament. I think London was. I think it was great, and I think, I think a decade is about the right amount of time. I mean, I think it's good to change it up at least occasionally. Like, I don't think London should get to keep it forever, which obviously it isn't. But the atmosphere was awesome, obviously, other than this year. But, it, you know, the O2 was always packed, you know, great arena. Felt like the players loved it. You know, they were treated like kings, the doubles and singles players alike. So, yeah, I think it was good. The only, like like we touched on briefly, the only real drawback was from 14 to probably 17 or 18, most of the matches were all pretty bad. Yeah, but that started to change. You know, last year was a good tournament. The final was great. Team Djokovic was great last year. Obviously, this year the atmosphere was made it totally different. You know, hard to get totally energized by it. Yeah, but in terms of the actual like quality of play and good matches from start to finish, this was probably actually the best tournament they had in London. Hmm. So overall, overall, I thought London was good. I'm not selfishly. I wish it stayed there because I enjoyed going to it. Food's awesome for the media, uh, you know, London's Yeah, just... media was taken care of at that tournament for sure. So, yeah, so like selfishly, I'm not too thrilled that it's moving, but I'm also, you know, I think turn will be intriguing. But again, I think 10 years is enough. Like, I don't I don't think London should just get to hog it every single year. So, yeah. Yeah. So London is is no more this tournament. Like you said, it was sort of a different atmosphere wise thing. And this wraps up what was two, the last two weeks of fully empty stadiums on the ATP Tour. Paris Bears Sea Masters fully empty the whole time outside of like the players' teams and London fully empty, which wraps up what was a pretty unusual 
season in terms of that, in terms of, and obviously the U.S. Open was totally empty. The French Open had some fans. Some of the other European events had some fans on some days and maybe reducing as the week went on, as the restrictions got tighter in certain cities. And Rome, they added more fans as it went along. So it was a little bit different. What was this, as just someone watching this from afar, you know, often going to a lot of these tournaments, you've been to the French Open the last few years, obviously you to London pretty consistently. What was what was your sort of enjoyment level of tennis just as a, as a viewer, as a fan of the sport? Like I, I found it, a t- I don't know. I, it, I could tell like intellectually that it was good tennis I was watching, but I also found right. it hard to like engage and like yeah. sort of like, and I like, I just sort of like almost actively as I was watching this week and obviously different off court stuff. ATP has been in my mind as well, but like even just watching like the semifinals, I was like, okay, like I know this seems dead, but it's a tour final semifinal between like, you know, right. Nadal and, and Medvedev. Like, this is a big deal. I kind of had to almost, like, actively think that in order to keep myself, like, bought into it, which was weird. I was willing yeah. to do it. I, at this, knowing the finish line was in sight, I think, helped, too. But, yeah, yeah. What, what was it like for you watching watching this ter- tennis this year, just as a fan? Yeah, I was of a similar mindset. First of all, I'm just happy that we got to see so much tennis. Obviously, you know, it can be argued whether or not sports and tennis in general should be happening but yeah if you just be on that argument if you take it as a given that it did happen you know I, you know selfishly i was thrilled that we got to see four more months of tennis when in march and april and may it looked like the season might be entirely over so i think that the fact that we actually got to a finish line in relatively successful fashion is a smashing success in itself but yeah like like you said it was just watching without an atmosphere, even I, obviously I wasn't at any of those tournaments in person, but watching on TV and just not feeling the atmosphere like you usually do was really weird and probably similar to you. Like I'm a guy who like loves the atmosphere. Like I live for like the grandstand. I like the old US Open. Oh, for sure. Obviously, like that's what I named my website after. Um, <laughs> so like I'm totally like as a media member, it's so hard for me not to go crazy like when I'm watching because I'm like a super rah-rah fan kind of guy who loves that kind of atmosphere and night session kind of stuff so yeah it was very it was very weird watching matches it was was hard to get into like like again like team Djokovic or team team Nadal this year was probably the best match in London but like it was hard to sense just how good it was because there was no crowd reaction not as much fist pumping obviously just because that's the nature of things so it was like hard to gauge like just how good matches were when there's no like when there's no electricity like there normally is. Yeah. And the guys like and like you mentioned, the guys, I think, especially even compared to Paris, where there were a couple thousand fans in the stands at given points or maybe less than that. I forget exactly what the number was in Paris, but uh, the guys were muted. Like the celebrations were pretty muted in London. You watched like Nadal. He wasn't being expressive and overly emotive and getting pumped up and fired up like a typical Nadal kind of would feeding off the crowd. Sitsipas, they talked about this directly, saying that he felt, like, uninspired because he, like, loves playing in front of crowds and, like, it's just tough, which is totally fair. And, like, that's... I was almost wondering if we'd see more of that this year on both tours. Like, if we'd see more players who, like, either really thrived without a crowd, which I think maybe some people said about, like, Jennifer Brady uh, mm-hmm. on the women's side, that she, like, maybe was especially comfortable without fans. I'm not sure if that's... We'll see when they come back whether that holds up or not. Right. And other people you know, not just being kind of flat. And I think you definitely saw some people being flat, like uh, who had like a bad year this year. Like he had other stuff going on too, but like golf fan, like yeah. never, like never got it turned on at all during this whole comeback time. 
So, you and, know, and, and Malfis obviously he had, yeah. injury, he had injury problems, but the lack of atmosphere and being able to put on a show definitely hurt him. Yeah. And Query said that too. Query at the US Open after he lost first round to Andre Kuznetsov uh, wow. said, uh, there's a poll, uh, said that like he just felt like flat and like it's just tough, you know, getting psyched for any of this, like yeah. playing at the US Open when it doesn't feel anything like, you know, America's Grand Slam or whatever in terms of being American at the US Open. So uh, yeah, that's all that's all fair. Um, but this tournament, yeah, I thought was was pretty good. And just talk results wise a bit about it. You have the top four guys in the semifinals, top four seeds, which is pretty rare, actually, at this kind of events to have that. And then you had the two finalists in team and Medvedev who were not who were like very plausible finalists. It was the most recent Masters champ and the most recent hardcore Grand Slam champ, and both of them beat Nadal and Djokovic to get to the final. Right. So that's <laughs> like a super satisfying event. As it sometimes round robin can feel a little bit fluky, like somebody you know kind of like doesn't right. quite deserve it. But they both, I think, were undefeated going into that final. Or team tanked a match, right? But like team, essentially team lost to Rublev, but he would have won if he had tried. Right. And so that I found very satisfying. And I think Medvedev was a super satisfying champ, like oh, yeah. him turning it on, like after having a pretty bad. And he's actually somebody I would would have previously put in the earlier category, someone who was flat in the resumption. Like he was not, even though he made the semis in New York, he was not like especially impressive. Yeah. He didn't seem like he was in great shape. It was funny. He sort of made comments that was like, I'm surprised that everyone else was like clearly working pretty hard during this time. I kind of thought we all weren't going to be working that hard, <laughs> but everyone's like really in shape here. So yeah. I didn't sign up for this. Um, See, I mean, just, just at that point, just we need to point out just how bad the US Open was like in terms of quality. Men's, like, men's US Open was bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, Medvedev made the semis and wasn't close to his 2019 level. And team team won the tournament and wasn't close to as good as he was in London, which he didn't win. Or Australia. <laughs> or Australia, which he also didn't win. Yeah. yeah. Or like Indian Wells. No, the men's US Open, uh, yeah, I think you really did buy for I think the women's US Open was very legit. Right. Like, especially those last, like, two rounds. The, most of the whole tournament was really solid. After you yeah. got past, like, the first round, first round, there was a bunch of, like, people who, like, weren't ready who lost first round. But the men's side, yeah, the men's side was was messy, right. and that whole which like, Zverev's whole run was a mess at right. that tournament. And it's understandable since they had only had one. Oh yeah, completely. One, but at the same time, the women hadn't had that much warm up either, and they played pretty well. So yeah, no, definitely. So anyway, so yeah, so Medvedev builds into his form, starts looking vintage, wins Paris pretty convincingly, Paris Bercy for his third Masters title already, and then adds another title in as the world tour finals title i was thinking do as i was doing my like emoji graphic updating medvedev's one for me today like he's results wise he's like almost exactly equal now to zverev i think they both have three masters titles the world tour finals title and a slam final basically sort of like top line achievements their their level and both like a tough five set loss at the u.s open final at that medvedev is like i think somebody who was not super hyped before he got good but he's like i think he's super solidified himself as a as a guy who again i i say this not that he was if you weren't paying attention for a year you'd be like yeah of course medvedev he was great in 2019 but he was like actively bad for the first part of 2019 until he got good in these last right. two weeks yeah. and he was somebody actually who i was looking at the field i mean like until he won bear c didn't seem like he had any business being in the top eight in the sort of like elite group he really yeah. sort of justified his spot late i felt like it's, we it's weird that their stats are so similar because their trajectories were like totally different. Like yeah. Zverev has been up and coming since he was 14 or 15. Yeah. You know, whenever he made that run in Hamburg, I think it was yeah. like yeah. as a teenager and he's just been like gradually getting better and better. Whereas Medvedev was outside hardcore circles. He was kind of like a no name until 
2018 and then like he just skyrocketed like their trajectories are totally different but yeah, it'll be interesting to see which one has a better career overall so what do you what do you make of this sort of season i guess big strokes like what you sort of learned about this season i was thinking about this from a wta perspective earlier and we don't obviously not gonna talk about wta but like as much as the atp focused episode but um i feel like i almost can draw almost no conclusions from the wta because the sample size was so much smaller uh mm-hmm. you know pretty spaced out like you know Kennen was the player of the year gets my vote we're gonna do award ballots later in this episode like Kennen gets my vote for player of the year pretty cleanly like she made two yeah. slam finals yeah. one of the most prize money like not really disputable i think that she wins that uh award atp we'll get to player of the year i don't want to take in that discussion that direction right away but like in terms of atp we finally got a new men's slam champ which something we've been waiting for for a long time however we got it in this way where like it was really literally by default where Djokovic got defaulted and <laughs> that opened up the rest of the field to to new blood and new champions um so it wasn't like a particularly kodak moment sort of torch pass that happened on any level there was no like you know dethroning per se and then but we also got like for the third year in a row kind of like a new guy or maybe fourth even if you want to count dimitrov i think like uh another sort of unexpected champ in in london correct the last few champs in london have been dimitrov zverev sitsipas and uh now medvedev today so yeah, I don't know. What, and, and in those four finals, only one of the opponents has been big three. So that's right. seven of the last eight finalists have been non. non yeah, that's that's a good stat. So mm-hmm. so what do you what do you make like what is did this like meaningfully move the narrative forward this year or like how, how did anything of, unexpected happen? Just just I'm thinking like big picture zoomed out, and you can go on or off court here. Like what like what what did we learn about men's tennis in 2020? I think. I think definitely the narrative that the quote unquote next gen is coming was advanced again. Like you said, teams, teams breakthrough kind of felt a little bit empty just because of the circumstances. Yeah. Federer wasn't there and Nadal wasn't there and Djokovic for all intents and purposes wasn't there. Djokovic took himself I, out. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I think that, I think this London tournament was big. I mean, even though it's at the end of the year and Djokovic mentally might not have been at his best and Nadal's never at his best indoors. I still think, you know, team and Medvedev both beating both of them on the big stage is a, you know, I don't, I don't think that should be underestimated. Again, the sample size was small, but I think given that sample size, I think at least team and Medvedev took a pretty big step forward. And even though Zverev didn't play that well at the U S open, I think just him getting to a grand slam final and coming within two points of, or one point, two points of winning one. Yeah. You know, the experience was tough, but I think that'll help him moving forward too. So I think all those guys are knocking on the door, obviously Sitsipas for various reasons didn't have a great year, but he's right there also. I mean, all four of those guys, I think have a legit chance to win one or two of the slams next year. Yeah. Sitsipas is interesting because he like, he kind of held his own. He didn't accomplish anything new. He didn't like kind of check off any boxes. Like I think he really wants to win a master's make a slam final and he didn't get either of those achievements but he you know was a very legit top 10 player like he right. sort of held his ground um, and semi semifinals of a grand slam and yeah. almost came back came back from two didn't get over the finish line but he came back from two sets down to force a fifth against right. the world number one that was that was pretty impressive that was legit so yeah so he so he did he did well we I'm, we'll go through all the guys in a sec but like yeah I, I i don't know for me i kind of feel like Yes, with London not really London may challenge this narrative a bit, but I kind of felt more like big picture. 
things meaningfully progressed in terms of transitioning out of big three complete domination at times with obviously with just with team getting on the board with a slam having a slam final that was teams of like two new younger all the team's not young by any traditional tennis definition yes yeah, but young younger at 27 yeah. he's not any sort of next gen he's 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 <laughs> but yeah. used to be like prime or even over the hill age in right. tennis. so with that sort of in mind i did think like most of that happened because of the other guys playing partial limited you know schedules largely like joe like medvedev won paris too but Djokovic didn't play, and the only big three guy who played was Nadal, who's like never been like a Nadal level player at indoor tournaments, except for the one time he won Madrid indoors way back when. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like it was a little bit more like that things progressed, like the sort of the wheels kept moving and, and the timeline advanced, but it wasn't because of any sort of like big action. It was more just sort of like the drip of time and like that was sort of going to be inevitable more than anything it felt i don't know it felt kind of passive to me more than like a big dramatic like you know like osaka beating serena u.s open final kind of like statement. yeah yeah like you said earlier there was no obvious passing of the torch moment just yeah given the circumstances they were definitely even if the torch did like shift if you looked at like a time-lapse photo of the torch in this metaphor like it did shift away from the big three you know discernibly yeah, and, and towards the towards the newer guys. So I'm gonna talk about some some of those guys in the rankings. Just basically the top eight. They got eight guys who were in London. Just want to wrap up their seasons a little bit. Yep. First long time family member of mine, Diego Schwartzman, who was the number eight seed in London, I believe. His his year was pretty incredible. Does he have like is he's sort of achieved? Well, he hasn't quite gotten to like Ferrer level success. Technically, he hasn't made a slam final, and Ferrer took a long time of being a top player to kind of like inch in his like one slam final and his like one Paris Bear C title. How much more room for <laughs> growth is there for Diego results wise? Like, do you think that he can push from being, you know, the sort of like getting just getting into the top eight in London level guy? Can he be a meaningful top five player, like a slam final contender? Like, or do you think he's kind of hit his, hit his ceiling here? I mean, obviously no disrespect to Diego. He maximizes his talent and his height which we don't need to get into people talk about that all the time but it's worth mentioning i mean yeah, like yeah. well it's worth yeah. reiterating every time we mention the height i want to say like he's shorter than he's listed i think that's important right. people yeah. to know because he's yeah. markedly shorter than he's listed at anyway he's, well, he's probably what five seven well he's listed at five seven but he's probably right. like five four and a half or something <laughs> generously uh, i know there's several i just know there's several women on tour who like who walk by sure. Diego and know they're taller than him and they are not near five, seven. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to your question. I think, I think getting into the year end championship is about his peak. Mm. I just, they were talking about on coverage ESPN like yesterday that someone asked Patrick Macker, they were like, do you think Schwartzman can, Gilbert was like, do you think Schwartzman can improve his serve, you know, work on it, even though he's five, seven or whatever. And Patrick Macker just goes, no. <laughs> and, that, and that was all conversation but i think he just naturally just doesn't have as much firepower as as those other guys and yeah in this day in this day and age the prototypical top 10 t- tennis players you know six three huge hitter off both wings big serve um even though surfaces are generally slow i just i think from start to finish of a full season it's going to be tough for Schwartzman to sustain enough good enough results to break into the top five and 
also I think just the level of competition, Nadal's going to be there for a few more years. Djokovic is still going to be there. And all the younger guys, I mean, Schwartzman's not old, but I think his competition is getting better and better. And it's going to be tougher and tougher to, for Schwartzman to beat those guys just because his ceiling is lower than those guys' ceiling. So he had an amazing year. He did awesome to get it to London. I would be surprised if we saw him in Turin. Let's just say that. Hmm. I think the sort of one corollary in terms of serve, definitely, although it's not as nearly as bad as hers, like Sarah Arani made two year-end championships in for WTA. She made in 2012 and 2013, I think she made the year-end finals. And, and, you know, it, it is a lot. And then she never kind of came close to it again. Like, it's a lot of work, like you said, being that kind of player. But I do think that, you know, he's going to be a super tough test for people for, for a while. He stays healthy, which is not yeah. a given, given how physical he has to play. Um, although he's like, he really doesn't play that much like Ferrer. I mean, this is the obvious comparison, but like Ferrer was much more, Diego's a much more aggressive player yeah, yeah. than Ferrer. Significantly more aggressive player. Right. And just plays with a lot more sort of like, he doesn't, you don't sense that he's like in there, like sort of like wanting to make it a war of attrition every time the way Ferrer did. He doesn't yeah. want to, that's not his attitude on court. I also don't think of Schwartzman as a clay quarter, even though, even though some people do. I mean. His, his best results have been on clay. Right. But I don't like. I don't like discount him on hard courts. No. I mean, in, indoors maybe, but like U.S. Open, he's always been good at. And mm-hmm. I think Australia would be a good surface for him. Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't think of him as a clay court specialist. And even though Ferrer wasn't either, I think Ferrer was more of a clay court specialist than Schwartzman is. Yeah. Ferrer was actually best indoors. People like discounted Ferrer indoors, but Ferrer was like yeah. almost an indoor specialist, like numbers wise. He's, he's like Jao Souza. Exactly. <laughs> the Jao Souza of the top 10. Yeah. All right, so that's that's Diego. It's been it's been a lot of fun having Diego like be a relevant player. Like he's just like a really like positive, like engaging, super charismatic, super super likable guy. Yeah. All the other players really like clearly adore him. Yeah, I don't and, know if you saw the clip. I think it was earlier this week. They asked they asked all of the top eight like who they get along with the best. Okay, and, and like all of of the top eight who they get along with the best, and like almost all of them said like either team or Diego. Yeah. I also I thought you were gonna mention the other. I saw one. I didn't see all those clips, but I saw one where they asked who's the best dancer. And, uh, yeah, yeah, everybody and, said Diego. and they all said Diego. Yeah, and then Diego said, "Well, he like wa- didn't want to say." So like, I have to say me. <laughs> like, it has to be yeah. me. <laughs> right, <laughs> which yeah. is absolutely true. So, and as, as as NCR's Middle East correspondent, Middle East and Northern Africa correspondent, North Africa correspondent, Rima Baleo, um had seen te- uh, Schwartzman dancing a lot in person. Like his dancing is is real and and off and frequent and and, and again positive presence on the tour which has been a good sort of in this like in this weird dead feeling kind of year like having him there i think did actually mean a he lot should, uh, tour. He, should, he should adopt a dance for his uh victory celebration like Pekovic. that would be good through like pekovich style right, like Peko, yeah that would be good yeah. next up someone who had i think it's fair to say as my eyes widen a a texas size 2020 yes uh, andre rublev <laughs> Ricky, as in a very famous tweet last year, you said that that Andre Rublev was going to have a Texas size twenty twenty. Right, you were correct. What made you think that? And then what did you actually see from him this year? Uh, well, first of all, that tweet's only famous because I retweeted it myself about thirty <laughs> times throughout the course of the year. It's good uh, hustle. <laughs> I added, I started doing it too, having the yeah, nesting did, did, eyes emojis. Yeah, yeah, you did too. I appreciate getting on the yeah. bandwagon. Um, I mean, I've always been a big Rublev guy. I just I love his forehand just the racket acceleration on his forehand is I think more intense than anyone else on tour. Mm-hmm. He, he was injured most of last year and 
really 2018, I think also, I don't know his exact results at the end of last year when I, when I made that tweet that he was going to have a Texas size 2020, but anyway, he started to improve a lot at the end of 19. And I just thought, you know, natural progression would be to take the next step this year. I certainly didn't think he would lead the tour in titles outright yeah. with five and in a full season, he probably wouldn't have probably Djokovic would have, but uh, he did. Or he might've won more. I mean, like yeah, you know, yeah, he, he could have won know. seven or eight in a full season. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah you never know. But yeah, he was just super consistent. Um, his backhand got a lot better. His second serve is still a little bit weak, but he was so good from the baseline and he defends better that he can, he can really hide that one weakness in his game. So yeah, just good from start to finish, you know, U S open great French open, great Hamburg. Um, he just started playing better on the big stage and, I think his attitude's gotten better. Like yeah. he and Medvedev were both crazy folk back in the day. <laughs> and now they're at least relatively level-headed. So that's helped him out. But yeah, I think, you know, I think Rublev's here to stay as long as he stays healthy. I think he'll continue to be a top eight guy. Yeah, I think so too. And you mentioned his consistency, like being that consistent when you are like such a ball basher. Yeah. Like that's like, that takes some doing. Like, cause I think you watch his game and doesn't look as much as you, unless you just look at his, if you look at his tour activity and his win-loss record, it looks sustainable. But, like, watching him play, he does kind of still play like he's kind of living on the edge a lot of times. Like, he's, right. like, going for it, and then he's been able to sustain that. Like, he's somebody who, you know, even against the really good guys, you just feel like he kind of controls his own destiny sometimes on court. Like, he's, he's going to be the one, like, kind of littering the stat sheet in either direction. Right. And uh, I mean, he's, yeah, like yeah. you said, he swings so ferociously on his forehand every single time. Like, yeah. you can't believe it goes in with such consistency. Next up is you had a, a strong tweet. Speaking of number seven in the rankings here, Sasha Zverev, I think he's still number seven after this tournament on his lack of ranking movement this year. He's been number seven every week of the rankings this year, which is impressive for somebody who like made a first slam semifinal, made a slam final. You talked, you mentioned a little bit more about his tennis improving. I think it, I don't think I don't have a lot to say about his tennis this year. I think his serve whatever has been talked about plenty. But I do want to talk about the rankings because I think he's an interesting case study. And he was grumbling uh, in press uh, when I mentioned to him that Sitsipas is going to keep his 1,300 ranking points <laughs> about the ranking system. And I want to ask, like, what do you think about the ranking system this year? I think as we go through the rankings, Federer is what, like number six or so, I think, is going to yeah. skip over here? Five or six? He's five right now. Okay, he's five. Yeah. And Sitsipas is six. Okay, so what do you make of of the ranking system that Federer is still top 10 despite not playing since January similar on the WTA uh at, well even more pronounced the WTA I think Ash Barty is number one still despite having not played a match since January they made this these rules you know in order not to punish players who didn't feel comfortable or weren't able to for whatever travel reasons to play a full complement of tournaments on tour that which I was I think I was supportive of at the time I can go back and listen I, forget, I think I was relatively okay with that as someone who was pretty hesitant and ambivalent about torque, the torque coming back in mid pandemic play. Um, and it hasn't gone amazing, but it hasn't gone as bad as it could have for sure. Yeah. Um, but given how many players did show up, like that was a pretty close to full strength French open. Let's say, do you, does it feel right to you that the rankings were so stagnant? And actually it's remarkable that Rublev, Rublev had to do so much winning to get into the London field, even despite being clearly one of the best players this year because of how, stacked for stagnancy yeah the rankings were so what do you like, what do you think about the ranking system as we as we put a chair or you know close the book on this year how does it feel to have the numbers be the way they are what do you think it was just it was so tough for the atp to decide what to do you know in this situation i think all things considered i think the 
the system to get to let people keep points, you know, like you said, just not to pressure them tra traveling and going to tournaments that they didn't want to go to just to chase ranking points, I think was a good idea. All in all, I think the rankings look pretty good to me, all things considered. Obviously, yeah, yeah it's a little bit weird still seeing Federer there, but at the same time, <laughs> he's fed and it would be even weirder to see him unseated at the Australian Open and playing Nadal in the first round or something. Right. It's also a little bit weird to see Berrettini being number 10 and an alternate for London when, you know, he probably shouldn't be in the top 50, but those are just a couple of outliers in the big picture. I think overall, all things considered, the rankings, they look pretty good to me. Yeah. You know, the ATP, they were dealt a tough hand, same with the WTA, and I think the, they made the most of the hand they were dealt with. It's just, it's tough. I, I think I agree with that. I, I will add, though, I do think that, like, this sort of lack of upper mobility that you could sort of feel, and we'll get to, like, when we do our awards, like, the most improved, like, most of these movements are relatively modest. And it, it also, like, some of, like, people could have collapsed in a lot of ways where they didn't on the tour, um, even yeah. people who played and, and, and kept losing. I do think it kind of added to the stakes, ambiguity, and the sort of detachment I felt from matches. Okay, yeah, people are winning titles, I guess, but, like, is a real like movement, like I was saying in the big picture storyline, like happening here, kind of bumper to bumper traffic. Like there was no, you know, you couldn't know it could really make a break and dart ahead. It was just sort of like uh, yeah. everyone kind of stuck in the mud, spinning their wheels. Yeah, I, I think that added my sort of ambiguity about the season. But I also do think, yeah, like you said, I don't think there's any um, other way they could have done it. Like talk about Barty for a second. Like I don't think if if it was not, you know, especially with Australia's restrictions and having their own sort of journey they've been on during the pandemic and the uncertainty, we're not talking about this too much, but the uncertainty, I'll hopefully do another show about this later, but the uncertainty about the 2021 Australian season. For Barty to have the option to keep her 2,000 points for winning the French Open and not have to travel, like, it's generous to her for sure, but mm -hmm. it also seems pretty fair, like, yeah. to not, because, like, a lot of the Aussies didn't, well, at least her and Curios didn't do it. They both took that option. Right. So I think that was reasonable enough. The, the one thing I don't understand, which you touched on earlier, is I don't understand the keeping the 2019 London points. Because, like, everyone had an opportunity to come back and defend. The only, the only one who wasn't there was Fed, and he shouldn't have been there anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, And I think they changed that at some point. I think they, they, that got right. adjusted. It was a recent development. Yeah, I think they adjusted that midway. I mean, I don't know. Like... But everything's been kept. I mean, like, everybody can keep their, like, 2019 French Open points, too. And even if that tournament, you know, even if you did play, you got to keep your better results, right? That's how it worked. So yeah. that's just, like, it's just, like, it's just basically point in, like, deflation or, or ranking, whatever you want to call it. It's, like, it's, like, screwing up the value of the currency of a point. Like, a point is worth way less than it used to be on the rankings. And, like, there's just a lot of extra points sort of clogging up the machine. And so, so, so yeah. The does team now have two London runner up points or just no? One? He just has, he just has, well, did he go two and one in group both times? Yeah. He went two and one, but both situations he was two. Yeah. So he would just get the one. So that'd be the same value that he would get okay. keeping on his ranking. Okay. Um, yeah. So that he wouldn't, nothing would change. I mean, I guess that's okay. It just, London I don't think you double count any tournaments, too, which is why, like, the most clear example of this was in, well, a couple of clear examples. Like, Novak didn't play Paris Bercy because he won it last year and he had nothing to gain. So, like, he couldn't improve on that thousand points. Did he win it last year? I say that? Not... Yes, he did. He did win it last year. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah that's why I didn't play year. this year. And, like, and, like, the other example was Jill Teichman, I believe, on the WTA, like, was defending champ at, like, both Prague and Palermo, I want to say. 
And so she, which were the first two tournaments back for this year. And so she instead flew to Lexington because she couldn't add any points at those tournaments. So she went to Lexington where she could add to her ranking. And finished runner up. And finished runner up there. So good, good Jill Teichman knowledge there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So that was like, that was her sort of way of like, it was obviously smart. And like, even if she's more comfortable clay quarter, like there's no point in playing those two tournaments just from a ranking perspective. And she's in like a, you know, borderline top 50 kind of player. Like she, she has room to prove and did. Yeah. So, so that's how we see. And we'll see how it goes next year too. I'm looking for, and we also just don't know what next year is going to hold too. Like, you know, if there is a moved Australian open or no Australian open or some sort of something like what happens if there's no ATP cup, if those points all stay on, cause there are a bunch of points handed out by the ATP cup, which feels like it was so much more than a year ago, the ATP cup. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be a, it'll all will be sort of a, interesting mess to sort through and yeah, yeah so crazy uh, that's far from over yeah that's my way of uh, talk, avoiding talking about Zverev which was pretty successful <laughs> uh <laughs> I've said enough about Zverev in other past episodes and we'll have more to say later I have more on that story coming out soon in Racket hopefully or definitely coming out Racket soon hopefully I'm still working on it player Tsitsipas play a clip here actually Tsitsipas was somebody who really I think did struggle with this sort of atmosphere uh of tennis and just a lifestyle of, of tennis in 2020 he's kind of a lifestyle kind of guy like he's you know really loves the exploring and the connecting with people and the photo- photography and all this sort of stuff um and steve the hawk had his wings kind of clipped by the pandemic so nice. here, here here's a clip from stephanos and uh, press talking about the the ennui of this year i mean it gets you know it gets tiring i said wow think of yourself sitting in a hotel room waiting for your match all day long not having the ability to go anywhere. Of course, they're trying to entertain you with some things that have, that they put on the player's lobby or player's lounge. But people need space. It's difficult to be in your hotel room, room service all day long, um, not having the opportunity to see your friends or because all these different cities offer, you know, I have lots of people that I connect with when I play tournaments and it feels very, very it, to me it felt very dark and it's honestly <laughs> i'm not a person who uh who sees the dark side of things but um this whole thing was very difficult to handle to be honest with you and um, i'm very happy that i didn't break down and and i'm sure if you ask other players they're going to respond the same way um technology obviously helps us connect easier than ever we all know that and I think I'm grateful for that, that I'm able to be with the people that I love uh, every, every single day by giving them a call or FaceTiming them. Um, nonetheless, it, it was what it was. And I think it's still going to be a thing for a while. It's a different world, I would say. I'll describe it as a different world than we're very, uh, very lonely. Ricky, I don't know if we want to talk about that, but what, what, what it would have been like to be a player on tour during this tough time, or just, and or Sitsipas himself, just like what what he accomplished or didn't accomplish this year and how you would see him setting up in this group going forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like we briefly touched on earlier, I think it was a, it, it was a decent season for Sitsi. Nothing, nothing great. But again, semifinals at French Open and briefly coming back from two sets down against Joker. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure on him because by winning London last year, people kind of thought that he was going to be the guy to get the Grand Slam breakthrough. And then, 
you know, it was probably tough when he was watching Zverev and team duke it out for the U.S. Open after he had just blown that ridiculous lead against Chorich. A couple especially of especially, especially so. how that match went. Right. <laughs> like, it's one thing to watch them be like, wow, they're great. It's another thing to be like, wow, I could absolutely beat these guys right now. Yeah. 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 So, that, so that was tough. And also, I think the hiatus came at a pretty bad time for him. Like, he was he was playing really well and that February swing, like Marseille, Marseille and Dubai. And yeah. he had, he had some momentum. And then, and then, like you said, he's, he's kind of an interesting character and I don't know. I just feel like the pandemic threw him off more than it did other people. And yeah. like I said, didn't, he had some momentum when it, when it came and then he never really got it again coming out of it. So all in all, I mean, I still think he's right there. I think he's right there with team and Medvedev in terms of maybe winning a slam next year. Um, just, you know, 2020 was a little bit of a lost season for him. Yeah. I, and I think that he's someone who's such a great long-term prospect too. Like just his base of his game is so solid, which I wouldn't say necessarily about somebody like Rublev. Like Rublev, I can see going more off track in terms of his game and like a lot of moving parts to it. Yeah. With Tsitsipas, I feel like he's just been such a steady player in terms of taking step by step. And even he didn't take any leaps forward this year. Like he, he held his ground. He set himself up well for the future. And, and when things eventually get back to normal, like I have no reason to think he won't come back online and, and be the player we thought we thought he could be all this time. So, yeah, I think he's definitely I mean, long, I, not but, saying to sell since the past stock at all, even after some uninspiring returns this year. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he doesn't, his game doesn't really have any major weaknesses. Like you said, I mean, his back end can break down every now and then, but it's, you know, it can be a weapon and, He's good at net and great all court player, so good serve. I mean, next up, uh, bonus bonus content here. Roger Federer, who is in, still in this group rankings wise. Federer did not has not played since uh, the Australian Open. It had a couple of knee surgeries, I believe. It was pretty clearly hurt in that semifinal against Djokovic after saving seven match points against Tennis Sangren in the quarters. Another match that's wild to think happened this year. It feels like lifetimes ago. What do you think the future holds for Roger Federer? What do you what do you think for his twenty twenty one? Assuming he's he's been talking that he's gonna come back and play Australia if and when it happens. So I, uh, I mean I I believe him. He's had yeah, he's had what, ten months off. Mm-hmm. So obviously the pandemic coming was bad for everybody but if it came at a good time for anyone obviously it's fed like i mentioned earlier he's still going to be seated fifth in australia instead of unseated so yeah. uh he's gonna have a good draw he's not gonna have to play any of the big four until the you know quarters or semis he's he's the one big x factor of 2021 yeah. i mean you just don't know what you're gonna get from a 39 year old who's been on tour for 20 20 years yeah, and won twenty uh, slams, he, but hasn't played in like twelve yeah. months. Yeah, he's, he's well rested. That's a good thing. He's well rested physically and mentally, so mm-hmm. I think he's set up to maybe have one more good go around. But like I said, you just don't know for a thirty-nine-year-old who hasn't played in ten months. So yeah, I yeah. think Fed's the one big X factor next year. The tough, yeah, the t- two people with the best timing in twenty twenty were Federer getting this long. Uh, injury layoff at a, in a year where the tour was on hold and there was no Wimbledon <laughs> and right. uh, the other one was Sharapova who retired like two weeks before like the tour stopped like getting off before like things got messy and was the and was also yes true in January good points as well and the Bryans I guess also retired this year I feel like the Bryans didn't get their appropriate send no they, they don't they're not like, I don't they're as happy with their send off right yeah and they they retired sort of mid come back or mid because they played like world team tennis i think right yeah i think they played world team and then 
some people thought they might play the U.S. Open, but then yeah, they yeah, pieced up for U.S. Open. Yeah. All right. Next, we have the top guys, basically the semifinalists we already kind of talked about. Um, but Medvedev wins this tournament. He stays number four, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Number four. So he wins. What does he have to do? Anything else? Prove anything else to be in terms of winning like an Australian Open or a similar or U.S. Open next year? Uh, his clay record is terrible. I don't think he's going to be considered a contender on clay, but Wimbledon hasn't done a ton either, but it seems like a more friendly surface for him. What What do you What do you think Medvedev still has uh, to show, or is he just in the mix already for those two hardcore slams? Yeah, I think he's just kind of still in the mix. I think I think the way he finished the season was big, just because now we're you know now we're talking about him as having had a pretty good season as opposed to having a pretty bad season. Right. Uh, I think. I mean, obviously, there's pressure on him to win a slam because that's the natural progression in his career. He's won three Masters 1000s and now the fifth biggest tournament in the world. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on him to win a slam. I don't think that he necessarily like has to do it next year. Like, I think if he has a similar year next year and doesn't win a slam, it can still be successful. I would say I think Medvedev's going to win at least one slam in his career. I had to predict it probably won't be in 2021, but... But yeah, I think you know he's set he's set up well for success for the next next whatever five or six years. Dominic Team, who still who has like I don't know I, he he on paper he should have done everything to prove himself already. He's won a Slam. He you know beat Nadal at in the at Australia this year. He beat Djokovic a couple times with the French Open in his career. Played well in that Australia. Or he played well in that Australia. Actually, I kind of think he played better than than Djokovic in that Australian Open final, even though Djokovic won it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was not that was not a very good match in my opinion. What about what about team? It feels like he's sort of peaking. I guess I feel like I feel like he's kind of maximizing his his himself right now. I can't imagine him getting much better. If that makes sense. And this level is actually it's obviously really high that he's at. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly what to feel about team. I'm like I'm impressed, but also like at the same time somewhat unconvinced. If that makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm convinced. I'm still convinced that I think he's. A future number one in the world when when the big three retire okay so so you don't think that he's gonna be able to unseat them when they're still like at their current levels i think i don't know no, he has, I think so, he has I, so many wins against him I, at this point I, I think he could okay I, I should say i think he has the potential to be number one after the big three not necessarily after the big three retire i, I should the I next number one is what you're saying yeah okay but i think he could do it even when they're still playing yeah i mean i've i've said before that i think team's peak is possibly better than anyone's like when if he plays well and i think the only other person who would be in the discussion is djokovic hmm. but i think they're the clear cut two bet two best when they play their best and, okay. I think, and i think team might even be better than djokovic in terms of peak i want to slow down the i want to slow down the uh the the record here for to, to clarify this hot take so you think that peak team is better than peak at all yes wow if Dominic, I think if Dominic Team and Rafa Nadal both played their best, the team would win. You're talking about like current 2020 Nadal, or like yeah, I guess you have to be, but like yeah. not all time Nadal. Not all time Nadal. No, I think okay. 2000. I think 2009 Nadal would be 2019 team. Reasonable, reasonable. Okay, that's 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 still a bold take. That's still a bold take. Or next year and the year after, I think the pressure is on Team at the French. Like that's yeah. the one. That's the Agreed. one. Where... But Team has really become a. a very very legit hardcore player 
Oh, for sure. His hardcore pedigree is like as much as he's like still we think of him as a clay guy and also hardcores are playing kind of how they're playing now. But also he's adjusted too. like his hardcore. I mean, he's US Open champ, Indian Wells champ, you know, two time London finalist. Like it's Australian Open finalist. Like there's not much to, to nitpick in terms of like clay being much better. from. There's almost even no reason to think it objectively. Right. Like stylistically, you can think, oh, yeah, he's a clay guy. But like. The wins are coming on hard courts. Like he doesn't yeah. want to. He wasn't want to masters on on clay. There's a lot of masters on clay. You know. Yeah, um, yeah I totally agree. Although he does have several wins over Nadal on at smaller clay court tournaments, which obviously stand out to people. Ever since ever since Guy Masu, it was like immediate skyrocket. Like exactly. Like he, they teamed up right before India Wells in 2019, and they just started winning everything on hard courts. I right, let's talk about Nadal quickly here. Nadal, interesting year for him. You know, loses quarters of Australia to team. Doesn't play the U.S. swing as it, as it well wins Acapulco, then stops. Doesn't play the Cincinnati New York double. Plays Paris, nearly loses the set to Yannick Sinner, memorably, uh, but comes back uh, and and then trounces Djokovic in the final. Seems like he was making a real push, playing signing up for Bercy. I was like, oh, he's like, you know, talking about Mojo graphics again. The Nadal one is like the most sort of lopsided one because like he goes out like he is too long to fit all in one line now at the French Open where he's won 13 titles. It like is a line break in the middle of those sequence of emojis at this point. But he has none in Shanghai, Bear Sea and World Tour Finals. So he was he really seemed to be making a push to win these those two titles that eluded him, Bear Sea and uh, London this year. Came up short, but I like that he's like hunting. He seems like he seems healthy. He seems hungry. I think it's like a super, even if he only won two titles this year in Acapulco and, and Roland Garros, like I think it's a super encouraging year for like long term, long term meaning like next two, three years for Nadal that like he's still like he still wants, he still wants to accomplish things in this sport. Yeah, I think sim- similar to Federer's case, like I don't think the pandemic was necessarily or five months off was necessarily a bad thing for Nadal. Yeah. Like, obviously this was the healthiest he's ever been in London at this time of year. Yeah. And I think moving, moving forward, like one and two years down the road, I think his relative amount of rest this year is going to help him a lot. Similarly though, similar, similarly, I could spin that to be like, he's one of the players to be most disappointed with London because he showed oh, up like oh, super yeah, rested. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. That's exactly match against Medvedev. Yeah. 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 Like, just it was such an opportunity like this is the first time he's gone into london with a full tank yeah and djokovic was as we saw was a little bit vulnerable i mean yeah, djokovic wasn't great he didn't play poorly in london but he wasn't he wasn't at his absolute best and obviously federer wasn't there i think this was probably in all likelihood nadal's last best chance to win this tournament which is yeah. really the only the really the only super important thing that's missing on his resume so yeah I would say the season ended on a little bit of a missed opportunity note, yeah. but when you're 34 years old and you win another French Open, it's pretty darn good season. Not a bad year, no. Especially the how partial a schedule he played, but yeah, like in the sort of goat debate, like I do think that the lack of that hit that his indoor record and specifically his year-end championship record is like the biggest knock on yeah. him. In in obviously <laughs> nitpicking in this 20 times Slam champs resume but like that's the one sort of like obvious uh blank in his uh in his field you can probably hear my dog barking <laughs> yeah. it's betty all right Djokovic. i want you to sort of like go into this however you want but my question will be 
was this a good year for Novak Djokovic? And the criteria are going to be on and off court. We're going to have this big picture here, right? So he wins. He he leads Serbia to its first ever historic ATP Cup title. Like, runs the table, wins all the matches. Pretty single-handedly won them that tournament. Very happy about it. Like, a lot of Serbs showed up in S- Sydney. This is a while. It feels like a while ago, but this was a, a big thing for Serbia's year. He backs that up by winning the Australian Open. Kind of ugly compared to, like, compared to 2019 when he won it. Absolutely smoking Rafa in the final. He kind of wins ugly to beat a pretty injured Federer in the semis. It was not a convincing win, actually, for Novak there. And team in the final to win yet another Australian Open. Uh, then he comes out of the quarantine, wins Cincinnati pretty convincingly. Uh, it's like overwhelming favorite to win the U.S. Open. Or sorry, I, I should back up. Um, <laughs> then during the quarantine, he hosts Instagram lives <laughs> with Chervin Jafaria, who's talking about like purifying water with positive thinking, selling ridiculous bogus supplements, lots of nonsense being spewed there. That was that was not great. That was a big issue at the time. He hosts Adria Tour, which you know about Adria Tour, <laughs> super spreader event. Uh, if with the right intentions, as I said repeatedly, uh, still was like incredibly sloppily done, and everyone could see it was a car crash and a slow motion waiting to happen until until Dimitrov tested positive and several other players, including Djokovic as well and his wife, all testing positive there after the second leg. What was supposed to be like five legs got called off. Then he goes to the U.S. Open. Then he goes to New York, wins Cincinnati. Gets to the fourth round of the U.S. Open against Karina Busta, <laughs> hit hit the line judge in the throat with line someone in the throat with a ball. He hit, whacks behind him in anger, gets defaulted, comes back, wins Rome. <laughs> is playing pretty well at at the French Open. Obviously, blows a two set lead to Tsitsipas, but comes back to win that match, and then gets utterly smoked in the final by Nadal. A result I did not see. Like I did not see that scoreline coming at all. Like that was like people. I know, I know, I know. You thought Nadal was going that match. I'm pretty sure, but like, yeah. there were plenty of reasons to think Djokovic could contend for that title for sure. Right. To, so to, to lose O two and five, uh, with the O and the two being very decisive, obviously, <laughs> was uh, was something. Then he plays Vienna, completely tanks after clinching the year end number one against uh, Senego. Yeah. Then he comes and plays. London doesn't play great, makes semis, but loses to team in, uh, in round... No, sorry, loses to Medvedev in round robin, and then team in the semis. Expresses a lot of support for, for Zverev, tells him to stay strong. <laughs> this week also got some uh, some eyebrows raised and some eyes rolled. Yeah. Ha- was this a good year for Novak Djokovic? <laughs> well, I think you could do an entire podcast which you almost just did and books could probably be written just about Djokovic's 2020 season right. both on court and off. But uh, I would love to write a Djokovic book. The short answer is I think on court. Yes, it was a good season. I think uh, we're going to get into awards later, but me personally, Djokovic is my player of the year. Um, so how, Spoiler, bad a, I guess. how, how bad of a season can it be when you're, when you're that, but uh Okay, but okay, so okay, I'm gonna stop you there though, because like, if you had told me after Cincinnati that he would not win a slam this year, another slam, I would have been shocked, because he was such a prohibitive favorite to win the U.S. Open before he took himself yeah. out of it. No, and I, yeah, I like, agree. and so for where he set the bar, I, I just think he fell short of it in some ways. Well, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, yes, he was on pace to maybe have like one of the best seasons ever. 
Right. He, as I kept pointing out on Twitter, people hated this until the French Open. He had not lost a match in which, you know, the final right. ball was struck towards the net or whatever sort of phrase right. I want to say. Like, uh, he, yeah. deep, deep, deep into the season, he was undefeated. Undefeated. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah I, I definitely, he missed an opportunity to have a legendary season, I would say. But yeah. even if you're the world number one and the expectations are so high, like, if you win 33% of the grand slams that are played in a season, it's not that bad. Yeah. And he won two masters out of the very few that were played. Yeah. The last three months, he missed some opportunities, both his doing and in French open's case, just Nadal being too good. So, so yeah, again, I think, I think it was a good season, but not, but yeah, missed opportunities to be legendary. I forgot one other sort of like off court development in his year recap, which is worth mentioning, (laughs) I think is the PTPA. Oh, yeah, pronounced yeah. in this show, but, ah, right. in which he started like a breakaway player organization that has kind of disappeared. It's unclear what, if anything, they're doing right now. Maybe they're like plotting behind the scenes. Maybe they're going to ramp it up in the offices. And I don't know, but like and now, and now he's like rejoining the ATP and, council. Or he's or like, yeah, like people, he got nominated to run to be on player council again. He's like, hasn't refused that, even though like ATP made it pretty clear that if you're starting like a breakaway insurgent organization, we don't, you're not allowed to be part of our existing structure which seems like a fair line for them to draw. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot in both columns. I, I, and, I think I think yeah. the one main word to summarize is 2020 is bizarre. Yeah. But but I think on court it was good, not great. It was it was compelling. It, it was certainly compelling. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. All right. So, you mentioned awards. Let's go through some of these awards. The normally we have the bet when we do this we always do the ballot uh, in our year end, normally in my apartment yeah. show um, after the marathon. But we this year don't have the ballot yet. WTA just sent out its ballot this week. So they're, everything's kind of running a little bit behind. Usually they have theirs earlier in the year, too. So the ballot is not out yet. So we're going to kind of guess some nominees. We may have missed some people who, especially for this first one, comeback player of the year. It's possible we're not thinking of some people. Um, but our shortlist is uh, who we have, Ricky. We have two Canadians. Anyone else? Comeback player of the year? Yeah. Mm, all I could come up with were the two Canadians. Yeah. And, Ron, and Ron and I, 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 I didn't look beyond the top 100. And Yeah, I, I don't think it should be outside the top 100. Right, usually. if you're not in the top 100, you probably didn't come back very well. <laughs> so. I mean, I don't think people really came back. I mean, like that much. I mean, but people, you know, it's hard to judge in this sort of partial right. year. I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities next year, obviously. Right. But. Federer, early front runner for comeback player of the year, I think right. 2021. Yeah. Uh, Players who have been sort of off, like 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 a Songa, like a, I mean, a even few players, Monfils, really. Hmm? Even Monfils, Monfils, really. yeah. I mean, his ranking his ranking is still good because of the new ranking system, but yeah. Murray, Murray, yeah. Um, although Murray kind of already think one comeback, I think twenty nineteen probably. So you, I don't know how many times you can come back. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I would give it to you know I would give it to Pospisil actually. I, I would get my I, vote. I, I was gonna say possible also because his year was really good. I mean, yeah. he obviously he beat he beat Hotchinoff at the U.S. Open last year, so like he was already starting to come back to. But it's like it's just like a slow march. But last year, yeah. last year he didn't play at all until Wimbledon. Right. No. Yeah. So his comeback started last year. Yeah. And continued. So, so he missed yeah. most of last year, which I think makes him legit yeah. come back this year. Yeah. And like this year, he beat RBA at the U.S. Open, which was a big big upset at the time. He beat Ronich. Yeah. He won the head against his fellow nominee. Yeah. yeah, those were like legit. I did not. I remember thinking like, because because that was the two players who went deep in Cincinnati besides Djokovic or RBA and Ronich. And like, yeah. 
that was gonna be like a good little section of the draw and possibly be both of them and like i've always been super high on vashik as a tennis player like i just really like his game i think that he's you know got a big upside obviously he's a good doubles player at a young age um and like big strong powerful guy and if he's staying healthy like i think there's no reason he can't be a top 20 player um and yeah. so yeah so so yeah he made steps continued i think he's a good pick and also don't forget that he pushed future goat yannick center to a third set tiebreaker in the sophia final yeah i was actually surprised watching that match which i dvr for posterity that <laughs> pospisil hadn't won a title they were like both of them going for their yeah. first title i was like oh pospisil hasn't won a title yet yeah there's some yeah. weird numbers in ATP, like how many titles various players have won and i guess i not I, once they said it, i was like i guess that's right he hasn't won a singles title um, but you know, I saw him make a Washington final way back when. Like he's been like a you know when he's been held, he made a Wimbledon quarterfinal. Like he's done you know things that are title equivalent level accomplishments um, a bunch of times. So it's just sort of that he hasn't gotten the 250 yet. It's sort of a, a strange thing. There was something I want to say. Like um, I saw a stat the other day that like this is random, but like Query has won more titles than Dimitrov. Jeez, Query's won a ton of titles. He's won he like won 10 or 11 titles, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, I, I just saw that and like I was like, wow, people would not have guessed that. Like if you just presented that as a fact, like who's won more titles, Query or Dimitrov? But uh, anyway, so titles, unper- imperfect metric in some ways. Speaking of perfect, though, you mentioned Yannick Sinner. We you talked about your Texas size prediction for Andrew Rublev for this year. Uh, I think it's fair to say the biggest hopes for twenty twenty one are on are on Yannick Sinner. Yeah, yeah, Sinner, Sinner would definitely be my recipient of the Texas size twenty twenty one tweet. Unfortunately. Yeah. I was one of the few people on Rublev and 100% of the tennis population was on Sinner. <laughs> what do you think of my of my hot take, which I put on this podcast before, that Sinner, this is, this is completely unfair to him to burden him with any of this, I realize, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've said it before, so it's already out there. That Sinner is going to finish his career with more Grand Slams than any active player besides currently active player than the big three. And, and put... Yeah, I'll put for, I even include Vavrinka. Like, he's just like everybody out there. He's going to be the most successful. I mean, which, which I, is, I, I, yeah. I respect the uh, I respect the boldness. I don't think it's. I mean, I think it's too early to like say that with confidence. But less surely, I, yeah. but it's not. It's not out of bounds to make that kind of prediction. Okay. I mean, the okay. talent, the talent level is off the charts. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would. I'm not predicting it myself. I, I would go with team, but. I very much respect the prediction. Team already has one. He's a head start. Yeah. Speaking of Yannick Sinner, he's one of our people we shortlisted on our own list of possible most improved players. Ricky, can you read through who is on our list and their uh, the ranking jumps they made in this adjusted ranking system or this tweaked ranking system from uh, 2019 to 2020? I can. All right. In our uh, most improved contenders for 2020, we have Yannick Sinner the aforementioned, uh, who started the year at 78 and jumped to 37. That's pretty good. 51 spots in this short of a year. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going in any particular order here. No, but uh, Davidovich Fokina moved up from 87 to 52. Also legit. Uh, I, I haven't seen that much of him. Like, I, I was one who added him. I was like, you should put Davidovich on there, or Fokina. I've seen almost none of him playing, or like I've seen him maybe twice. But I feel like he's somebody who have you seen him much? Do you do what do you think of his his upside? I haven't seen him in person much at all. I saw him at the French Open last year. Yeah, uh, um, I think I saw him when he won juniors. I think he won juniors with the French. 
I want to say, or at least made a deep junior run. I mean, I've seen him on TV a few times. He had that epic collapse against Schwartzman at one of those indoor tournaments recently. Mm. Like, I mean, from what I've seen so far, he's just like solid. Like, I mean, he's not big. He doesn't have tons of firepower, but he's just like, you know, he's just a solid baseliner. Like he's probably gonna be pretty good on every surface. He's got good, like a good, like karate kid villain look about him. Yeah. Well, not like Sonigo, but no, no, they're opposites. Sonigo is Ralph Macchio, <laughs> and Davidish Fakina is uh, like Billy Zabka. Okay, yeah, there we go. All right, we have Casper Rude from fifty-four to twenty-seven. That's legit. That's good. We okay. have Hugo Umber, fifty-seven to thirty. Mm. Won his first two titles, I think. Yeah. We have an outsider who's not going to win it, but I do like that you threw him out there. Salvatore Caruso, 96 to 76. But it felt yeah, I, was like proud, I was proud of that inclusion. Like, it I feel felt, like that's. It felt like he improved a lot more than that. You know, I, I got to say, when I saw Caruso, I was looking at the rankings and he was like, he was 76. I was like, he had to come from far away to get to 76, but he guess he'd maybe. Right. I, we can look at his activity like when he got into top 100 for the first time because he's not a name people know. I don't think, but he's now almost top 75. Yeah. Um, I mean, he must, I mean, I'm sure last year he just vultured a ton of challengers. Right. And there's, and there's a but, huge number of challengers in Italy. Yeah. You can kind of go on runs and win things. Uh, yeah. But this year he was like relevant at like French open, U S open. Like, right. He was good. Like on in the biggest tournaments. Yeah. Um, last, but certainly not least, he made a late charge. Lorenzo Musetti, another Italian. Yeah. 360 to 127. That's pretty incredible. And he's like, I don't know if he would normally get, I don't know if they ever nominate sub top 100 players for this award, but had it been a real full season, he would have definitely gotten to be top 100. Like, no doubt about oh, that. For sure. and he and he almost like, well, he would win like whatever that award is like, w, like ATP newcomer, right? Like, is that like who's like youngest in the top 100? He would win that award. It had it been if a full he, season. Yeah, if he had gotten, yeah. I think oh, it was over oh, the second. I, I forgot. We have, we have Rublev going from 23 to 8. Oh, and, and Schwartzman also. And, and Schwartzman from 14 to 9. Yeah. So Rublev is a, is a I think, so, okay, I'm going to try to pivot here. So I think the obvious front runners in terms of if they're odds makers for this award would be Rublev and Sinner. I'm going to surprise people, though. My vote is actually going to go to Ugo Umber. Nice. Because I feel like Umber fit what I like to have as the criteria of this award is somebody who, like, changed their narrative. I say this about, just about Sinner. Like, I knew Sinner was going to be really, really good. And so him like ticking up 40 spots in the rankings and winning a 250 and making a slam quarter, like doesn't surprise me in any way. Yeah. I like improved not just to be about like, and you, and you, and you kind of called, obviously Rublev did really well, but you, people knew Rublev was, you know, former junior number one, whatever. For me, Umber was somebody who was like pretty off radar in terms of like being a, you know, in the mix to like be a, you know, relevant player. He did make a Wimbledon fourth round last year, but was not somebody who I who I felt like was a yeah super relevant you know guy to watch and now he's like he pulled off a lot of big wins uh, this year you know titles were were strong good one over Sitsipas I believe in Hamburg I think that was or Mevit somebody in Hamburg he beat somebody in Hamburg and hugged his mom afterwards an iconic moment he, he beat Sitsipas in Paris in three breakers yeah yeah right that's right in in Bercy yeah so he he's just somebody who I he fits like my definition of words I like I like. I like to give my votes for this, and I have voted for this award in the past. Like two people who change their like trajectory. Yeah. Not not no, not, I, yeah. not to like not even like a Musetti who like was a junior number one Slam champ who I like knew was coming for a while and like made huge leaps. Like to me, that's sort of fulfilling your potential. And I like improved to be like actually like made something from kind of nothing. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like changing the narrative is a big part of it. Like I would eliminate Musetti just because he made the biggest jump, but like he was like breaking onto the scene. Like yeah. similar to you, I feel like improvement is like someone who you already knew about who then just like suddenly got better. Right. Like a Jen Brady right. on the women's side. Like I feel like Jen right. Brady Jen, has been like ticking yeah. around the top 100 for a while and now makes a slam semi. That's yeah. like a huge, more than like, more than a Sviantek who might win this award. Yeah. Sviantek with like people who knew, knew, and like she right. won a slam. Yeah. Anyway. And like even Sinner to a lesser extent, like this was like his breakthrough. Like he didn't, he didn't like stall out and then like suddenly get better again. Like this is just his initial trajectory up. And like you said, you're not that surprised about it. Yeah. Personally, I would go with Rublev just because Rublev's my guy this year. So I would, I would give it to him. I just think going from 23 to eight, especially given the circumstances that you touched on earlier, like it was so hard to move up this year in the ranking yeah. and he still skyrocketed into the top eight. But I think Umber would be my runner-up choice. Like I, I definitely don't disagree with that pick, but I, like, I would personally go with Rublev. Just again, like I said about the rankings being so stagnant, like had it been a full season, he absolutely would have passed Titsipas. He would have passed Zverev. He would have passed Federer yeah, in the rankings. Like just based, yeah, absolutely top five. And then maybe even past Medvedev, yeah. you know, to number four. I think it would have been within reach in, in a regular sort of season had he kept up his his rate. Right. And then uh, quick shout, uh, coach of the year. You sort of alluded to my vote earlier, but my vote was going to be absolutely for Nicholas Massou, who I feel like obviously yeah. he started on 2019 with, with team, but like he has transformed team into this like, real like consistent force great hardcore player is you know just made him into like yeah this he got him a slam I, and he's a new newer on the scene coach was different than like you know apostolos it's a pass or you know alexander's varev senior whoever else you might want to give the award to he's been on the scene for a while like i i or you know marion vida like i i think that like for me masu is a super easy coach of the year pick yeah Oh yeah, I'm, I love I love Masu. I love how passionate he is too. He gets like, yeah, he's engaged too. I like that yeah, also. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but uh, I, I think I think I would also vote for Masu. But I think I mean there are other good candidates like Medvedev's coach Jules Servara. I yeah, Jules Servara. Yeah, you know Fernando Vicente, uh, Rublev's coach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess Sinner might work with a lot of people, but I guess Ricardo Piatti. Ricardo Piatti is the main one. Yeah, he'd be in there. Yeah, so, all fair. Good- I I just think it's an easy thing to give to like. Sort of, and I and I say this, and then I'm going to pivot now to player of the year because a lot of times, at least you know, it's easy to pair those awards together, like coach of the year, should go player of the year. I think it's a reasonable way to think about it in some level, although kind of there's an improvement element to it as well. Player of the year, I think on paper it has to be Djokovic. Okay, let's say okay on paper. Let's zoom out, pause quickly, and get this through relatively quickly. But there's three guys who won slams, right? The slams got th- the three slams got split three ways between the top three players. So team one, team one, U.S. Nadal won French, Djokovic won Australian Open. Team could have added the fourth biggest title of the year, which was World Tour Finals. He lost the final today to, to Medvedev. Yeah, um, I think you can eliminate Nadal from the conversation pretty quickly. Yes, he only play. won two titles. Uh, he only, you know, he didn't only made one Slam final. Yeah. Yeah, his other title was was a 500 in Acapulco, so I think Nadal can pretty easily get sure. get booted, yeah. uh, and then it's down to team versus Medvedev. Sorry, team versus Djokovic. Yeah, and I mean the reasons for team is that he you know made a final in London, made a final in in uh, Melbourne. He was sort of a breakthrough kind of guy, like he's doing things for the first time. But I think you have to go Djokovic though, unless 
And I think this is completely plausible unless you like knock points for like his off court nonsense, which I think is an absolutely valid thing to do. Yeah. I think, I, I think player of the year is kind of like, kind of like a hall of fame kind of vote where like you have to take in the totality of somebody's everything. And maybe, you know, you look at this and say <laughs> between Adriator, between getting defaulted, between, you know, whatever other sort of nonsense, like maybe that hurts Djokovic's uh, resume. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I think I, I th- and then I add this, like, I feel like I was disappointed by his year too. Um, element to like, if you told me he was going to win no more slams in August, I'd be like, how? Right. I would be like, oh, the slams must not have gotten completed, which was partially true for one of his slams. But anyway. No, what, I, I, I agree. Think? I think, I think Joker is going to win it. And I think when he does, the federal fan base will cry foul about all his off-court transgressions <laughs> you should have penalized him but no i agree i just think on the court he has the same number of slams as nadal and team and also got two masters 1000s he was undefeated and, through mid-october right yeah and also had a runner-up which team also had a grand slam runner-up but they also had a head-to-head matchup in a slam and yeah. Djokovic won it in a slam final and Djokovic won yeah. it so I think when you factor all of that in, just the on-court results are too good. I would say, normally I don't like to overreact just to one match, but I think if team had won today, I would have given it to him. Because I think, I, think, fair. I think a Masters, I think a year-end championship would more than offset Joker's two Masters 1000s, in, right. in my opinion. Yeah, I think, that, I think the tie, I, I think there's reasons to give it to, to team if you want. Like I said, the sort of novelty of it too is kind of nice to like, it's probably not fair to like put a thumb on the scale a little bit to give it to like somebody new, somebody different, like someone who like, like you said, sort of changed the, who finally broke through this like big three stranglehold. Again, even if it, he did it at the Grand Slam without having to beat a big three guy on the way. Yeah, I, I think I give it to Djokovic too, but like, but like with a bit of an eye roll. <laughs> like yeah. just like you, this year was a mess, Novak. Fascinating mess, but a mess. And here's your trophy. The fact that player of the year is like even a discussion like after where the player of the year race stood like in March and really even after Cincinnati. Yeah. The fact that it's even a discussion is mind boggling. Yeah. That he did, that he did so much to like to, to jeopardize his, his, his contention for this award. Right. right. Yeah. Is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah. Ricky, you've done nothing to jeopardize your standing here. <laughs> You're still tremendously an MVP in our minds. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. where can people follow you that you're where are you working these days currently i know you're a tennis majors doing stuff now which is new since last yeah, year yeah yeah doing some for tennis majors and tennis balls and my own site the grandstand and uh diamondator on twitter you can see more good projections like rublev <laughs> uh like met like medvedev winning the world tour finals or the nitto atp finals so i had that but yeah th- thanks again for having me hopefully uh hopefully australia will happen and we can talk some then and uh hopefully hopefully uh the Marine Corps marathon will happen and we can preview the 2021 Turin ATP finals, ah, but fingers uh, crossed. we'll see lot, lots of stuff up in the air. It's going to be interesting next year. Thank you very much, Ricky. All right. Thanks, Ben. So my sincere thanks to deep friend of NCR, Ricky Diamond for coming on this show to wrap up the year that was in men's tennis. We're going to keep doing shows for you. We'll have another one later this week before November ends. And then more sort of season wrappy type stuff with Courtney. And we'll see what happens. I sort of alluded to the uncertainty about Australia 
going forward, we don't know what the future of tennis is going to look like in 2021. <laughs> Nothing really is settled. The pandemic is still getting worse in the U.S. If you're listening in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, please keep being safe. Please keep taking precautions and having socially distanced holidays over Zoom. It'll save lives and we really do want you guys to stay alive so you can keep, uh, if nothing else, you can keep listening to NCR. I mean, what else is there to live for besides that? Completely sarcastically. Uh, thank you to you who have supported us in many ways. You can follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can send us questions, comments to no challenges remaining at gmail.com. A way to do that too. And you can support us on Patreon, which is a wonderful thing if you can. Uh, make time in your holiday cheer spirits to to give some love to ncr and thank you to those of you who continue to support the show for so long throughout this year uh two new backers to thank since our last episode we want to thank varun who signed on and also martina navratilova so thank you to varun and martina and to our patreon slam champ backers as well who we thank every episode liz kennel jonathan weinbaum mary carillo chuang nguyen betty audrey wellens sean mulroy Susanna W., Jean Simeon, Antonio Maycumber, and Leah Williams, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Charles Cena, Nicole Copeland, and J.O.D. Like I said, we'll have another episode for you this week before November ends. Thank you again for supporting us on Patreon. Courtney and I, actually speaking of Patreon, did a Patreon-only episode last weekend uh, with some reflections on the election, which has still not been conceded, weirdly. Anyway, we concede everything to you. Bye, guys. Since we have been together, my thoughts are ready ever. Been moments from your side. But now the final curtain's calling, and I'll be gone by morning. It's time to say goodbye. My life's too short to wonder why. I'll carry on all fine. But I'm leaving now, cause that's my time. Oh,